The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome to another episode here at the Kick Pie Dojo. I'm your host slash sensei, TJ Williams, giving you the insight of my martial arts journey, analyzing, discussing martial arts-based subjects, and also highlighting martial arts past, present, and future. Okay, so I got a guest with me today, the um, same um, style of martial arts, um, UFAF um, member, um, Aaron Elston um, Broth, uh, so from California. Uh, how you doing today? I'm doing well, TJ. How about yourself? Yeah, oh man, it's definitely been a wonderful Sunday. I mean, definitely, I also um, interviewed another um, UFAT member, um, Austin Jameson, earlier. So definitely, I got a good um, discussion with him. Right, so definitely, absolutely, he's a great martial artist, and you know, he's just a great human being to be around. Yeah, so it's great that I got to talk to him today. All right, so. Um, so this is what I usually do with my listeners. I kind of take them back in time with uh, my um in, with my um guest. So definitely the first question I always ask is um what what let's see how I can put this. How can you best describe yourself before martial artists enter your life? I mean, how can you say like who were you? That's a really good deep question to ask, TJ. I'm really glad that you asked that. Before martial arts, I was somebody who didn't have a purpose in life. I was somebody who grew, came from a very rough childhood, somebody who wasn't handed down anything, who was around violence, who was around uh, not having any parental role models to show me the way, like Peter Frampton would say. Um, it's just uh, going with the flow and just getting into trouble and not having those people there to be there for you when you best need them. Yeah, I know how that is. I mean, I feel like that's like my childhood. You know, I never had my father around all the time. I mean, not that he did, was absent, but, you know, you know, he wasn't always around to, like, keep me out of trouble. You know, I had my older brother, like, show me the ropes. Yeah. Uh. Absolutely. You know, it's very traumatic to lose your mother at six years old because my mother uh, passed on when I was six years old. We were in a roach infested motel in Los Angeles and she OD'd on drugs. And that was one of the most devastating things that ever happened during my childhood. And it was just, it was very hard to overcome that. It took quite a while to uh, be able to get over that and be able to uh, uh, become somebody that you were destined to become. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of people don't like to discuss that part of their life, but you know, it's it's something that people need to at least hear, so they can build up to like, what what do I need to do to overcome this? I mean, I can't just let it bother me. I just gotta at least like do something that's gonna overcome it, so I can like really um, build myself as a person. So that's good that you like talk about it. So. Absolutely. It's a big part of what makes us um, human, what makes us relatable. But most importantly, it's part of the story of our life and how we become the beings that we have become 
right now as we're speaking. Yeah. So yeah, that's really understandable. All right. So now that um, what's like the first thing that um got you interested in martial arts? What's something that you see that says this is was amazing? I like to do this one day. Well, what got me into it was my late father got me into the martial arts because again i was around hanging around the wrong crowd i was constantly being that troubled maker that problem child in school getting kicked out of school and school so he wanted to put me in so that way i could prevent myself from being bullied so that way i can become more disciplined learn what it means to be respectful to others and to have something to do after school is done so that way i can at least build friends and be around the right crowd and i started in taekwondo in 1996 i made it up to red belt and then i my late father transferred me over to master roger lacombe school that was only a few hundred feet from there and master roger lacombe was that second fatherly figure i never knew i had because he took me in he understood what i was going through you know, the anger issues, the trust issues, being a troubled chick kid who was lost. And he built me up and um, he began to correct me. It didn't seem initial at first because a child, you don't know what's going on, in particular in my situation, what's right from wrong. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've gotten to appreciate everything he, Master Steve Smith and Master Kenny Arrera have done for me to help make me the person that i am today which i'm very very grateful for yeah so that that kind of sounds like me a little bit because you know i grew up with um attention deficit hyperactivity disorder you know i never um was um well achieved as a uh, academically you know really if i wasn't a person that doesn't like to read or like to do homework i just i was a video gamer i was always on the tv and I never was active, so it was so good that I got in karate that like I did like almost twenty years ago. And you know, like I said, with you with you and Mr. Lacombe being being a father figure, you know, Mr. Presley was that same father father figure. You know, I call him my karate pops. That's how I call Mr. Presty. Yeah. I agree one hundred percent. Yeah, just like you, you know, I have ADHD. Most people don't know that. But, you know, just like you, I was that type of person who played video games was big Pokemon guy. Red, <laughs> blue, yellow version. That was my those were my games. And then just being outside, you know, uh creating superheroes, playing golf, uh, playing basketball and you know, just finding means to pass the time up. <laughs> yeah, so definitely no, but definitely karate kind of like like um fade you away from that um all that stuff i mean that's the same way with me is no i don't play games as much but you know it's like i'm real busy with um martial arts now and being like a like a grown-up i mean you got bills you guys like really got a lot of living to do so. absolutely absolutely and what helped shape me as a martial artist, I will definitely tell you this as being a martial arts instructor for 12 rewarding years, uh, it really taught me a lot about what it means to grow up, what it means to be mature, but most importantly, what it means to be accountable, you know, holding yourself accountable because your students are a reflection of how you teach and what your values are. And if you can teach them all these skills and make them into solid black belts that they will look back on 
10, 20, even 30 years later, that me- and you're having a huge impact on their lives, that means you're doing something right. And in my heart, it puts a smile on my face when I'm able to help somebody discover and overcome fear, overcome those obstacles to help shape them into who they want to become. All right. So I want to get to like in your first lesson. I mean, other than like Taekwondo, I mean, what was your mindset? Was your mindset that you want to do self-defense or you want to get to that black belt? My mindset was definitely to become a black belt because I looked up to so many black belts just looking at their poise, looking at their attitude and looking at one day I'm going to be just like them and be able to do Besai and Nayanchi Chodan just like them one day. So I was always that kid who was a orange belt, blue belt, who would watch the black belt classes and stay after my class and just watch them do forms. And then the next thing you know, I was that blue belt who was doing Besai and all the Nayanchi forms and just blowing everybody away by doing that. Oh, so definitely that was your almost your envy. That you wanted to be a black belt because you saw everybody that um, you looked up to as a black belt. So that was like yes. your main envy. Yeah. Yes. All right. So let's get to that black belt test. Like, you, this is your opportunity. I mean, you passed your pretest. I mean, did you have pretest back then or you just, um, just going, you just got elected to do the black belt test? I will answer that in two questions. So my first black belt test was not actually with Master Roger Lacombe. It was with one of Master Lacombe's black belts as instructors. Uh, his name is Kurt Lampson, who taught out of Malibu. When I got out of foster care after being in foster care for five years, my late father transferred me over to him. And that's how I got my first black belt was to uh, Mr. Lampson. It was... Tung Sudo, but we also incorporated Jiu-Jitsu, and we also incorporated the Screma, and it was those seeds of learning a Screma for him that eventually led me to uh, getting a black belt in the Screma 13 years later. Um, but afterwards, I transferred over to Master Lacombe, and I got my black belt under Master Pat Johnson in the National Tung Sudo Congress, mm-hmm. and in that first-degree test, we had to do a pretest where we had to demonstrate all 13 forms, which included National Tung Sudo Congress Black Belt Form Number 1, which is the equivalent of, of NTC's version of UFAT Form 2, of course, and and do one steps and then three steps, which I'm sure um, Master Presti would remember what those are for sure. Yeah. Um, and then they voted. And then three months later, you took the actual test. And my actual test took about three and a half hours to complete. They put you through the rigors back in those days with little breaks. It, it wasn't a marathon. It was more of a sprint. And they and Master Johnson really made you feel like you had to feel like you were tested. You had to go out there and feel like you earned it. There was, you had to put your heart out there. And Master Johnson, he was very tough. If you made a certain amount of mistakes, you failed the test. Mm. So you had to bring your A game to that test. Oh boy! I mean, Mr. Presty, um, he he talks highly of Mr. Johnson. I mean, the things he talks about, Mr. Johnson. You know, I'm just thinking like one day, I'm gonna like be face to face with mr johnson and of course i know a friend of mine that um i do podcasting with i mean he's like a relative of uh, mr johnson so it probably be, i don't know either sooner or later i'm probably gonna at least meet mr johnson and i'm probably gonna mention that um i was trained by one of his students and um he's probably gonna like talk me like 
a story. Like I'm gonna like probably sit there. You know, if it was if it was possible, I could probably have them as guests as a podcast on a podcast. But you know, chances are, give or take, you know, that's that's definitely a wishful thinking that I'm gonna try to meet him one day. Uh, so that's good. Absolutely, because I'll tell you something Napoleon Hill once said, and this has actually been the secret of success. Anything a man's mind can conceive and believe, the mind can achieve. In other words, what we think about most of the time, we end up becoming. So we just got to make an obsessive thought and just go out there and make it happen and make as many sacrifices as we can through our actions and our mindset. And eventually it will come. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's go into your, like, master rank induction ceremony. I mean, here you are. I mean, you completed, like, uh, when was the last time um, you tested for your fourth degree? What was, what was the year? I tested for my fourth degree in January of 2017, um, which uh, the late uh, Lane Boston was on my board. Rest in peace to him, by the way. Yeah. Um, it was, I was the only one who tested and it took three hours to complete because this was right before the testing changes, uh, were switched up around 2018 or so. Mm -hmm. So we were still using the old format for, uh, first and fourth degree testing at that time. Oh boy. I mean, you were the only one tested for a fourth degree. Yeah. Yes. Oh, imagine if I had that suffering back in 2019, I mean, I was, well, of course, I was the only person that pre-tested for my school. And, of course, I can t I can remember that day, me and Mr. Presley traveling from Niagara Falls to Boston, like, from 12 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock in the morning. I mean, I felt sorry. I mean, I wanted to do some of the driving, but, you know, of course, I had to at least keep myself um, rested for that test. And luckily, there was two other people testing for a third degree. But, you know, for me, being a fourth degree, I had, like, the got the worst of it. You know, Mr. Schaefer and, and all and the testing board were pretty much putting me to the like the like grinding me. Really, that's what that pretty much was my test. I mean, but I got through it easily. And that's the most important thing, you know. I think you agree with me. You know, for those of us who have made up to fourth degree or higher in our organization, it's it, there's just mutual respect amongst everybody who's a fourth degree and beyond because we all know what it's like to get through that test. And I remember you I remember listening to Master Malone's podcast, you know, of him getting injured and be able to persevere through that. Um, it, it's it's a test that really tests you to your very core. And there are times where you're just tired out, but you just have to find the inner strength to continue going knowing how much you have to do on that test, particularly when you're the only one on that test. Like I said, it took me three hours to get through that test. And at the very end, I was just cramped. My legs were cramping. Mm -hmm. it, I couldn't move for like two hours afterwards. Yeah, definitely. I, that's almost like I felt like what that was on my test. You know, of course, I was getting through injuries, too, because the, the first time I went to a pretest was back in 2018. I mean, if I was to pass that 2018, I would have been set for master rank next year for next year's ITC. But, you know, I got the of course I failed that pretest. And, of course, I was going to go for another test and then I ended up getting, getting injured and, and I had to get through that. So definitely, of course, I go back in 2019 and, you know, I do my thing. I was worried about getting injured again. You know, really, sciatica is definitely one injury that I don't want to have no more. And that's, then from there, it's just, I just push through it. And there I am. I'm a fourth degree. So 
definitely 2023 is definitely going to be the year that I go for my master. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to when you're up there on stage in front of the board and doing your presentation because if there's somebody who deserves it, you're definitely one of them, Mr. Williams. Ah, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I'm speak, speaking of the convention, the, the Master Rank induction ceremony, man, like 17 people pre or testing or getting inducted to Master. That was definitely amazing. I say, like, probably the um the one of the night. Well, what was her name that um she was like, did that um Ole from Pasadena? What was what was her name? Carol Taylor. Yeah. Carol Taylor, that, that's one of uh, Master Christie's students. Yeah. I was like enjoying that performance. I mean, I know Mr. Norris was like up there, like he was lit lit up when he saw that performance. <laughs> I mean, I said she that was. De- she definitely had the best performance for sure. You know, be able. To, I just loved the originality of what she did and her heart that was into it. It really lit up the entire uh, facility when she brought the house down with that performance. <laughs> yeah, you know, that kind of gives me an idea of what I want to do. So, I mean, I'm having like um, the wheels are turning. I want to at least make that a a good performance. I mean, I don't want to overdo it. But, yeah, it's just I got like ideas in my head that I want to do. So definitely that'd be something to see on in 2023. Absolutely. And you should definitely have a lot more time than what I have to do because in 2021, they combined the class of 2020 as well. So it was only condensed to two minutes and we had to make it very brief. And just like Master Malone talked about, we had to get approval from the board with our first draft and then our last draft of what we're going to actually perform at the ITC to make sure it looks exactly how it's going to be, whether it's with music or without music. Yeah. I mean, really, I for my performance, I definitely want to use music because, you know, that's going to get me pumped up. I mean, most people, I see most um, performers, they ain't doing music, but, you know, I guess that's the best way you concentrate. Hey. Yeah, my performance, I was going to do music. I was going to do Whitney Houston's One Moment in Time to really encapsulate my journey as a martial artist because yeah. if you listen to the lyrics, it really transcends of somebody who's overcome a lot of obstacles in life and be able to share this moment with in front of everybody. But we just had some uh, technical errors with the music and trying to uh, – use it but we decided to go without the music and it turned out very well yeah very all right yeah i probably would like to hear your, your performance with whitney houston you know definitely whitney houston is somebody that went through tr- uh, trouble too but you know that's she, the she did yeah all right but she but you know what she's one of the most gifted vocalists of all time she's mm-hmm. the best yeah there is just like Bret Hart, the best was, the best there ever will be. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Bret Hart. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah the, oh, okay, speaking of co- the convention, I mean, what's your thoughts on this year since it's like our, like I said, I can call it our comeback, I mean, after the pandemic. It definitely was a comeback. You know, there was a lot of anticipation coming up to this ITC because we didn't know if it was going to happen or not because we were all on the we were all on the edge because we were just very curious to see what kind of emails, what was going to be, what was going to be announced on social media, to see if all of us were going to come through or not. Yes, you know there was a lot of us that there's a lot of our fellow uh, 
brothers and sisters in UFAP Nation that couldn't make it because of travel restrictions or whatever their stance is when it comes to COVID. But, you know, to be able to have a very strong turnout like we did and have all the uh, master candidates there, Mr. Norris, who is in very good shape, by the way, for 81 years old. He looked really good. Yeah. Uh, and to see a bunch of people that we haven't seen in over two years, it it was wonderful. It was great to see everybody again. Yeah, it's great that we are like almost connected with social media. But, you know, with this, this podcast, I mean, when the pandemic got struck, you know, being laid off for two months, you know, I had to do something other than sitting around just thinking that I was going to get my job back soon. But, you know, yeah, like I said, two months of being quarantined or should I say being laid off, you know, I created this podcast, you know, so I can really connect with the martial arts world. I mean, now that I'm like been through a year of this, I want to at least try to interview like more people and at least get those numbers up. You know, so far I got like at least over 20,000 listeners since I've started. So that's definitely an accomplishment for me. Yeah. It definitely is. And big congratulations to you. Be able to get that, that amount of people um, to your podcast. That's wonderful. That's a huge accomplishment for you, TJ. Yeah, for definitely. sure. <laughs> if you definitely need some uh, additional people to uh, interview, I definitely, I definitely suggest reach out to master Kenny, our, our regional chair. He's somebody who's been involved in the martial arts for over 50 years. He's somebody who's been, who's, been through a lot in his martial arts journey so he's someone who's just a wealth of knowledge great heart and somebody who would definitely benefit your podcast for sure and master roger lacombe who i could definitely reach out to for yeah. you as well yeah all right i understand um speaking of um master lacombe i mean he normally had the ufap school but i know he turned into the premium martial arts school so do they have like a similar um like similar um attributes or like, how would you describe describe it? That's a really good question. Um, I don't want to say a whole lot because I don't want to bring any negative attention, of course. Yeah. But he made that transfer back in 2016. I don't know the specifics why, but there is some core, there is some uh, common values with what our organization is teaching and what Premier Martial Arts is teaching, and it's feels like it's kind of trying to create a perfect competition in a sense because we've seen a lot of our fellow UFAP masters join Premier Martial Arts like Aaron Hensley, for example, Tommy Crouch, uh, Dan Blum, and, Dave, and Master David Dunn have all become Premier Schools, Alice McCleary. And so it really depends on, as from a business perspective, what is it that you would like to teach and what is it that you would want your students to benefit from? I, okay, that's that seems fair. I mean, really, I mean, you want to at least try to transition to like something different. I mean, you want to at least grow your um, martial arts um, attributes with um, other styles. So, of course, you know, you, we got, of course, Krav Maga. We got um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I mean, any other style that helps um, build um, the Chuck Norris system. I mean, that's what we can use. Absolutely. And one thing I remember uh, Master Her talking about with myself and several others is, you know, what is UFAP going to look like 10, 20 years from now? We definitely need to get a lot more people in our generation, Gen Zers, that are higher ranking black belts to start stepping up to the pace and start becoming the leaders of tomorrow. So that way we can carry on Chuck Norris's vision and values going forward into future generations to come that will be here after we're gone. Hey. 
All right, so, okay, so I want to talk about, like, what, what you do outside of karate. I know, we understand you're a successful real estater. Hey, so. Yes, that is correct. Um, I'm a realtor here in Southern California, primarily work uh, the affluence areas of uh, some of the subdivisions, some of the uh, suburbs of Los Angeles. I'm with uh, Berkshire Hathaway, and uh, I've just sold a little over $12 million in sales since I started, which is a lot. Mm. Um, but it's just like the martial arts. You guys, it's not a marathon. It's it's not a sprint. It's a, it's a marathon, and you have to pay your dues, just like we had to in order for us to become first-degree black belts. I see it no different from the martial arts, where you're going to make a lot of mistakes up front. You're going to deal with a lot of rejection, and you have a, and there's a huge learning curve. But the most important thing is never giving up and just utilizing those UFAP values, because those UFAP values we've learned as we developed as martial artists can be applied to anything we set our mind to and that's what's made me very successful at me not quitting real estate because the first two years in real estate it's all about how badly do you want it just like we how badly we wanted to become first degree black belts because that first deal is like the equivalent of us earning our first degree black belt because once we get that first degree black belt it just gets a little easier as time moves forward yeah that's probably the best way i could put it you know with me and pro wrestling you know, I don't expect to get that five-year contract or a tryout, but chances if it happens, you know, I'm not going to turn it down. But if I don't make the tryout, at least that's experience. At least something that I can bring back to where I'm from. I mean, bring back to my wrestling school saying that this is what you need to do if you want to make it. So, I mean. Absolutely. And the most important thing is checking your ego at the door, you know, having your glass half empty, learning with an open mind, you know, learning from people's different perspectives because that one thing could just change everything for you. And the most, and the most important thing is when you learn from an open mind, you open your mind up to new possibilities and discover new things that are deep within inside of you that you never knew you had before. Yeah. So how would, yeah, how would Bruce Lee would say that? What was that one quote that he always said about that empty cup? I it, I can't think of it on the top of my mind. Do you remember? Yeah, he put it this way: the usefulness of the cup is its emptiness. So that was the exactly. one quote he always says. I mean, what, 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 how are you going to learn? How is learning going to be useful if that cup is always full when you're going in like you're learning? I mean, you want to at least learn with an empty cup. Okay. Absolutely. And one thing is we're always continuously learning. We're going to continue learning until we take our last breath. And the most important thing is just coming into everything you're doing with an open mind. If you can learn at least one, this is, this has been my mindset, particularly in real estate. If I can learn one new thing every single day and put my ego aside, I had a very successful day. Yeah. Because if we learn one new thing, uh, once that's 365 new things we've learned throughout that entire year. That's powerful. Yeah, definitely. Hey, so do you teach any classes or you're just like there to like train? I recently, in 2019, I stepped down from being an instructor to move on to different areas of my life, like uh, real estate and getting involved more with my community because I definitely want to start building up my professional uh, reputation and to be able to start building the lifestyle that I want to achieve for myself. And um, I still I still train. 
uh, with UFAF, but I also trained with uh, Grand Master Dennis Shikawa, who's another one of Master Johnson's black belts. But by going with him, it's just relearning the mistakes and just, again, opening my mind up to a different interpretation of Tong Sudo, which is our foundation in our system, and also uh, networking with a different group of black belts as well. Hey, oh, amazing. I mean, with me, I mean, honestly, I don't want to like step down as an instructor. You know, you know, you're not, you know, you got um, with Mr. Presti, he, you know, if an instructor, he don't got enough instructors, you know, I have to step up, you know, honestly, if I, if there's chances are, I can't be an instructor anymore. You know, I don't want to see him fall. So really in this case, if anything comes up, I pretty much have to turn down because I want to at least help Mr. Presti. I mean, that's me. I want to see these kids succeed as well as as me. I mean, keep them out of trouble. Uh, keep them out of the streets. Absolutely, and that's very important. That's one of the reasons why when I got my first degree under Master Johnson before we switched back over to UPAP in 2010, I had the very first thing I remember asking Master Cone that Monday after our test is, what can I do to bring value to the studios or any means that I can help you to in order to make the school that much more successful? And it was we started off kind of like an internship showing me the ropes and as i built my skill my confidence it eventually led into becoming a full-time instructor where i was teaching six days a week and and it stayed like that until 2016 when i uh went up north to northern california to finish up my bachelor's degree at chico state and then 2019 stepping down you know to uh, move on to the next chapter of my life but like you said it's going out there particularly helping those who don't have a father figure who don't have a motherly figure somebody to keep them out of trouble to show them what true talent lies within their heart and showing them what it takes to be successful in life and making sure that you leave an everlasting impact that's going to carry on with them for the rest of their life all right, so that kind of brings me to my last question, uh, future plans. Well, who, how would you see yourself in five more years? Do you see yourself being, like, of course, you're successful in real estate, and, of course, you see yourself coming back to karate and at least teaching a little bit? Yes, teaching a little bit. You know, part of I feel is my responsibility as a master is finding ways to get back to our organization still. Um, very clo- I'm very co- closely connected with uh, Grandmaster Gallagher, so I could yeah. definitely uh, come by schools in Region 2 and maybe come by if I'm in Vegas and teach a class or two for uh, their school up in Henderson, um, uh, volunteer myself to be a potential future uh, <clears throat> a potential host for one of the ITC com- uh, seminars. Um, giving back to the, and giving back to the school however possible, sitting on regional tests whenever I can. Uh, five, ten years from now, definitely see myself getting my master's, probably in project management. Definitely see myself eventually getting married and having a family down those lines. Uh, potentially moving out of California depends on how the economy and everything looks. Um, every, the future looks really bright. The most important thing is, you know, again, if your mind can conceive and believe it, you will go out there and achieve it with, a goal, with an action plan. That's the most important thing is fully believing yourself that you could physically do it. Amazing. All right. So before I do this, um, before I um, close down this um, podcast, um, is there any last um, words or wisdom that you like to tell the listeners? Absolutely. 
The most important thing is you are the most important person you have. If you cannot take care of yourself, who will? The most important thing is you've got to believe in yourself and get around the right people. If you are not happy with your life, you got to sit down with yourself, write down one goal, and follow that goal, and do whatever it takes to get to where you want to be in five to ten years from now. But the most important thing is hold yourself accountable. If you make mistakes, if you don't know you don't like where you are, remember, you're not a tree. You can change it. Uh, awesome. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for being a guest on my podcast. And, um, of course, I like to talk to more people. So definitely, I'm, I have a list of people do I want to be on my show. Right, so definitely, thank you very much for joining me, Aaron. Right, so. You're very welcome, TJ. All right, so I'm going to do my little closing for my podcast. All right, so for those who are new to the, the Kick Pod, all right, listen to my previous episode on the BICBPRadio.com, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another episode here at the Kick Pod Dojo. This is your sensei, TJ. Bow you out. And I'll see you next time. Celebrity stories on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere we can absorb information from every day. But what about the people in our hometowns who make the world go around but don't get any recognition for it? Hi, I'm Dan Torres, and my podcast, Your Average Ordinary, focuses on those people. Those people that have extraordinary lives, jobs, hobbies, talents that you may not even know about that you walk past on the street every day. Join me every Saturday as I'm joined with a new friend to talk about how their average ordinary life impacts so many others. And there's so much to talk about because there are so many different people. You like movies? We talk about that. You like acting? We talk about that a lot. You like video games? I'm always talking about video games. Join us every Saturday, Your Average Ordinary, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you can find.